Hello and welcome to the episode of Everything is Canon, Sunlings Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However you may find your way here, thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to author Roseanne A. Brown all about her latest and final book in the Song of Race and Ruin duology, A Psalm of Storms and Silence, which is described as the highly anticipated second and final book in the immersive fantasy duology inspired by West African folklore that began with the New York Times bestselling A Song of Race and Ruin from author Roseanne A. Brown. Perfect for fans of Tomi Adiyami, Renee Adia, and Sabatihir. Yes, for me, A Psalm of Storms and Silence is the perfect ending to this series, going to great lengths to not only provide some resolution to these characters that we love, but also establishing a few new ones that add seemingly more depth to this already incredibly bountiful world building. Roseanne and I talk about the long and winding road it took to get here, how important it is to her to add levity to her stories, A Psalm of Storms and Silence, of course, and much, much more. While this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out about the first book, and if you haven't read either, better stop listening now, but come back after you read them. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. November is a little light on the whiz-bang social media calendar as far as the entire month is concerned, but there are a few days we're celebrating November 1st is both World Vegan Day, which is great for me, I'm a vegan, and National Authors Day, which is great for my guest. Um, November 8th is National Cappuccino Day. I survive on coffee. November 16th is International Day for Tolerance, which is always a good thing. And my favorite is, (laughs) this is funny, November 19th is both International Men's Day and Women's Entrepreneurship Day. (laughs) So (laughs) I'll let you figure that one out. Um, Roseanne A. Brown was born in, oh, I'm going to screw this up, Kumasi, 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 Ghana, and immigrated to the wild jungles of central Maryland as a child. Writing was her first love, and she knew from a young age that she wanted to use the power of writing, creative and otherwise, to connect uh, the different cultures she called home. She graduated from the University of Maryland with a bachelor's in journalism and was also teaching assistant for the school's uh, Jimenez Porter Writers House Program. Her journalistic work has been featured by Voice of America, among others. On the publishing side of things, she has worked as an editorial intern at Entangled Publishing. She was a 2017 Pitch Wars mentee and a 2018 Pitch Wars mentor. She currently lives outside Washington, D.C., where in her free time, she can usually be found wandering the woods, making memes, or thinking about Star Wars. She's here today to talk about her new book, A Psalm of Storms and Silence, which is described as the highly anticipated second and final book in the immersive fantasy duology inspired by West African folklore that began with the New York Times bestselling A Song of Race and Ruin. Perfect for fans of Todi Adamiami, Rene Adia, and Sabir Tahir, please welcome to the show, Roseanne A. Brown. Hi, Roseanne. Hello, thanks for having me, Steve. So also, I that um women's entrepreneurship men day, that thing is breaking my brain. Just <laughs> like why would they do that? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, like who and, and listen, for- and who are these people, first of all, that choose these yeah. days? I don't know. Yeah, I, I assume maybe? listen, I'm sure it's a Google search and there's uh, you know, I'm sure there's some history there for sure, but I wonder what came first. And if it's if the women one came first, then it doesn't yeah. surprise me that the men would want to fucking stomp all over that, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. isn't that fucked up? Yeah, I don't get it's it. Really? Nope, not great. <laughs> so we're, uh, yeah, and that's a weird one. It, it's so funny, like, when you look at all these social media calendars, there's some weird ones. 
there is some weird ones I tell you out there. It's it's actually a good read if you can just find a website that posts them all. And you're, there's there there is some things out there that are just so friggin' weird. Anyways, um, yeah, that's a bizarre one for sure. I've what what else? There, there's a couple other really funny ones too. Anyways, um, we're gonna pretend like we weren't just talking. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show. I know this is a busy time because I sort of mentioned there before that. It is it is it, it, a truth and a, like clockwork that when you're promoting one book, you're on deadline for another one. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for taking the time and uh, t- talk to me a little bit about that. How, how you're busy? What what do you got going on? Sure. So right now, like as of oh, so the big things I got going on right now. Obviously, promotion for Psalm has been a whirlwind, and like this is my second book. So I was coming in like, Oh, I've done this before. Like it can't be this bad. Coming in hot. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's still, t- I feel like <laughs> I just underestimated. Like that's the thing. Like, you know, when you look back on a, a busy time, you're like, Oh, that, that didn't take that long. Blah, 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 blah. And then you come back and like, Oh no, I forgot how long it takes to like do, do this or do that. Oh no. So hmm. that has been a big busy thing. Um, I've been working on my middle grade debut. Sir Law Botting's guide to vampire hunting out with Rick Ryburn presents next year. So that has been really fun, like kind of switching to the middle grade headspace and doing something new. Um, and I've been working on a short story for um, Karen Strong's Cool Awkward Black Anthology. I'm writing about a teenage werewolf with an anxiety disorder who is in love with his best friend. So that has been really, really fun to write about. And like, I love personally. That sounds look, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> in the eternal werewolf vampire fight, werewolves have always been better. And I'm very mad that their moment was lumped in with vampires. So, and I say that someone who's also writing a vampire book. So right, justice, right. justice for werewolves. Yeah. Um, and then I'm working on a third thing that will hopefully, fingers crossed, be announced soon, but I can't wait to tell you all about. Oh, and my Black Panther graphic novel. We are right. wrapping up the art on that. That one's coming out next spring. And we'll have more details, like a cover, a title, everything, all that very soon. Cool. Um, did you ever see What We Do in the Shadows? No. The movie? No. Um, so Taika Waititi and his sort of his New Zealand okay. friends. It's it's a TV series now, but it started as a film. It's I think it was, God, it's got to be five or six years old now. Anyway, so it's just like a funny satire meta look at these group of vampires that share a house together. They're all flatmates in New Zealand, and it just takes all the like romance and sting and danger out of being a vampire like they have like a chore list and (laughs) like it's you know like it's really funny anyways there are also werewolves though and Mm. they're they're not featured in it but they're in it and a lot of the same rules apply like it's just mundane day-to-day stuff of being what it would be like being a werewolf in a modern day city you know it's really i recommend it it's very 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 funny um and it just you got me thinking of that. Um, we've never met in person, um, but I've you know seen you several times, Instagram chats, panels, book launches, and all these other things. You seem very funny to me. Um, these books are very funny, I find, it, it, which is, I know, a funny thing to say because the situations are so dire and there's violence and, and very important themes and issues, which we'll talk a bit about for sure. But there's definitely a lot of, there's levity. You can't help it. It's there. Um, how important is that to you? It's extremely important just because like, because I knew from the start that the, like the rape series was going to like deal with very traumatic issues, especially the second one. Mm-hmm. And like, that's part of why I really pushed my publisher. Can we please put a content warning on these books? Because like, I know what it's like to like come across something very triggering in a book you weren't warned about. And like, not necessarily tell people don't read this, but just be like, yo, heads up this, we're going to talk about this. Um, and because I knew that I 
number one, I just didn't want them to be like a doom and gloom fest like the whole way through. Like this is not the Dark Knight. Like we're not trying to do that. But just because I think the reality is that like people sort of don't experience trauma in a vacuum. Like right. even people going through super rough patches, like very rarely is it every single day is a complete nightmare. Like just the way life is, is like the absolute worst day of your life is also the same day like just super random hilarious thing can be happening to you like I know I've definitely myself like some of my absolute worst days like just hilarious things just also happen and so it just felt true to me that like this would be a world in which like it's actually kind of very funny and like sometimes plus another thing is I've never been a fan of fantasy that takes itself too seriously so like the Ray series is a little bit tongue-in-cheek in the sense that like it's kind of a story that knows it's a story and so some of the story yeah. logic of yeah, and like as a fantasy author, you're kind of juggling the line between on the one hand, the story logic of the world has to feel serious and real. But on the other hand, like story logic by nature is always kind of silly. Like if you think King Arthur, scrawny kid pulling out a sword from a stone and suddenly he gets to be king of England. That's yeah. silly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I talk about that all the time with a lot of books. Like if you, you know, like if you, if you're able to look look at them in a real world context like how fucking crazy some of this shit is that we read yeah. right but we but because they're written so well you just you buy it you're like yeah of course yeah of course a sword and a stone why why where else would you put it? Um, yeah, like how else would you discover your leader like oh this kid can pull metal from rocks yes he can leave the country <laughs> but, um, how do you do it <laughs> yeah exactly like the monty python bit that's but, right yeah, so, yeah yeah so saying that like going back to the idea like this that there is just a certain amount of absurdity just inherent in yeah. i think in all books but fantasy in particular and like some books like there are definitely some dark dark fantasy books that are really good at like never breaking that and like to get it like there's a lot but i just knew for myself i'm like you know what if i'm gonna go all the way with the kind of the oral storytelling like a story that is knows it's a story i kind of just wanted to kind of honor that and just kind of really take it the hallway like oh no some horrible horrible things are happening yeah. like we oh, yeah. have people being tortured, possessed, like, and like, no, this is not good. But like, hey, look at that. It's a dancing monkey. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's and obviously because uh, you're just a fucking great writer and you have so much respect uh, just for, for just things, quote, you know, just uh, people and life and cultures and things. It's, you know, I want to just warn people. This isn't it's not mockery. Right. You, there's, it's never like we're not laughing at anybody. We're laughing with them. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? In most instances. But it is does feel very meta. Like I wrote down in my notes, like I kept waiting for someone to look at the camera and wink, you know, and it, <laughs> on a, a couple of occasions. And there's a there's <laughs> there is a knife bit, <laughs> which I could still laugh about um, when when uh, Carousel's pulling out all the weapons. Mm -hmm. Oh, Caracol. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I also said Caracol, but like. I've only ever read that, like that animal. So like, is it Carcel? I, that's how I say it. I did, but you're the, to me, you're the author. If you say Carcel, that's how I'm saying it. Um, okay. That weapons bit. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that, okay. That's it's, just something I always find funny. So, it's like naked gun or something. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's such absurd. It's so absurd, but it's like, it's kind of like, it's, it's almost like a classic bit in a way, right? We've seen similar things before, but Fuck, it's funny. I laughed so I laughed out loud. I still laugh about it. I'm laughing right now about it. Um, that is so funny. But we'll we'll talk a little bit about him and sort of and some of the other funny moments. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's clearly that it's very important. Levity seems very important to you. Just and in, in your own personal life, you just seem like you, you like to have a lot of fun. Thank you. I definitely think with writing, like because writing is very hard. Like yeah. I know authors, all boohoo authors talk about how hard writing is, is like a cliche, but like I think 
like a lot of people obviously know it's very physically uh mentally demanding obviously it's a lot of words but like one thing i was not prepared for is how physically demanding writing is and this which sounds weird because you're sitting at a desk which is like no there's lots it, of research how sitting at a desk for so long can like fuck your body up real bad and so like writing books is like is very physically grueling and so like it feels like if i'm not gonna have fun with it why would i put myself through this mm. Um, I think it was Ayana Gray I was just talking to and she actually, we were talking a lot about it because it's something that doesn't get talked about at all. And she's got some stuff on her website about um, helpful hints, right? And one of them Mm -hmm. is links to uh, the physical toll sitting at a Mm -hmm. desk and writing your all day, every fucking day can have on your body physically. And she has some really great links to like ergonomics, right? Making Mm -hmm. sure your desk is set up properly, your chairs at the right height, your wrists are in the Mm -hmm. correct position and you're not hunched over on your laptop in bed you know, for 12, 14 hours, right? Which listen, sometimes you got to do it. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, and I was saying to her, I'm like, yeah, you don't hear a lot of people talking about that, but it is so friggin' important. Like if you were at a big company, you would have an office ergonomic assessment done, mm-hmm. right? Cause they don't want a lawsuit. It's like ergonomic injuries are like what? 80 something percent of the injuries, you know, in the workplace. Uh-huh. Like, so that, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause it is so important. And I don't hear enough people talking about it. Like it's very important. These are just like the boring parts of being a cool, exciting pub published author. Right. But <laughs> in so many ways, kind of more like, listen, if your wrist go and your back goes, mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. writing books. <laughs> you yeah. Know like, I mean? so like, mm-hmm. So important. So I'm very, very happy you brought that up. Um, how old were you when you moved from Ghana? I was about three years old. So I was very, very young. Okay. So okay. Like, yeah. So I was so young where it's like, what's I home? Don't mess- what? Ooh, what's home? Yeah. Um, Where's, well, which, is Ghana home? See, that that is a whole, I have literally written entire books about this. Like this idea that like when you're an immigrant, how do you define home? There's an entire genre about that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I'm, ta- I'm asking you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for me, yeah. yeah. What is home for me is home is two answers. Number one, it's where the people I love are and it's where the people who loved me have come from. Mm-hmm. And so home is as cliche, like I feel cliche even answering this, but unfortunately the truth, unfortunately, the truth is home is both like the people who love me here in America and it's also Ghana. Like, and I think it's been very important to me to like be able to say like, I don't have to pick one. Cause I felt growing up, like I had to pick one right. and it felt like picking one was like betraying some other part of me. And so I'm it's very glad to get to a place in my life I can say, like, no, I get to claim both of these. Like, even though I felt like, oh, I didn't grow, I'm from Ghana, but I didn't grow up there. So I don't get to stay in Ghanaian. But I'm like, no, I do. Like, even if I'm not from there, being from there, my family being from there has shaped my life, has shaped the way I see my world, see the world. Just as like being here in America, even though I was not born here, my roots do not come from here. But like being here in America has shaped the way I grew up. Like, both of these places have had a huge factor on me. So I get to say both. When was the first time you went back to Ghana? Like, did you, are, is this like a right, do you guys go back all the time or? Not super regularly. Cause really honestly, my family couldn't always afford to. Um, it's only very recently. Like there was a, there was a long time, especially after Ghana, Ghana airlines shut down in the mid two thousands where like, it was very expensive to try to get there. There were no direct flights. So that's changed. Um, so the first time after that, cause we came here, I was born 1995. It was around 1998 or so. Um, and then the next time we were back was not till 2004. And then after that was not till 2012. Um, not 2012. I, I was, it was 2004, then it was 2016, and then it was 2020. So it was January 2020. We got um, there literally right before the pandemic started. And like Ghana was one of the countries that did strict lockdown. Yeah. And so if we had not left, like when we did, if we'd stayed even a couple of weeks later, we would have been stuck in the country. And we knew people who were trapped in the country for like right. months and they couldn't get out. So when you went back, you were nine, I think if my math is correct. Yeah. 
Um, that's pretty good, eh? <laughs> Still got it. Um, <laughs> how did that? How did you feel? Did you feel like a stranger in a strange land? Did you feel was there just like that un, undescribable sort of magical connection? Like, t- like how did you feel? Did you feel, you know, did it feel like home? honestly kind of hard to remember because i was nine okay well but, we'll flash ahead then so then you, you went a few years later when you were a teenager yeah then. so talk, yes, maybe, yes, yes. Okay. talk about that one then maybe so the yeah the 2016 trip there was definitely definitely more of that feeling like oh wow like holy poop like just this is where i come from and that feeling of like there were definitely some areas of like of stuff like my cousin were making fun of me like you Al, we cannot let you alone on the streets because you will not survive and i probably would not i am very very sheltered but so on some levels, like just the day-to-day life, there are things of it that didn't make sense to me. And then there were some cultural things, like the way people interact with each other, the way people spoke, the way people like went about their lives. I'm like, this makes sense. This feels familiar. And it gave me a better understanding. Oh, this is why my parents do what they do. Like, this is why they act in this way when I say this thing, do this thing. Like, because I'm realizing in America, without context, that just seems so weird. But like when you're in God, I'm like, oh, everyone here does this. So this is just a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. So there's if anything, what that trip did, it was less like a magical connection. Like, oh, I suddenly understand myself better. And more like it helped contextualize parts of my life that I didn't even realize were um, affected by this. Mm. Obviously, this we know you just have to read any interview with you anywhere. And we know how, how important West African folklore has been in this in this story, right? In this duology. Mm-hmm. When you sat down to write this story and with that in mind, with that inspiration, did you feel like you'd been, you'd immersed yourself enough in your family, in your history, in your, the place where you're from, that you could do it in a way where you didn't feel like an imposter, let's say? Oh, absolutely not. I still don't feel that way, honestly. Like, okay, yeah. Simply yeah. because, like, there's just so much. There's so many things. There's so much. I always tell people there's, like, literally 500,000 words of rates that aren't in rates. Simply For, because yeah. just how much, For sure. like, there just is. And there's just this. I think honestly, and I don't even know, but I don't need, I don't mean from like a practical storytelling standpoint, right? Like, I mean, you emotionally, like, honestly, still kind of no, but the thing is, that was important to me to get to a point where like I wouldn't let that stop me because I knew, because like that was one of my big fears. That's why for a long time I like I had never actually written really anything set in Africa for a while, right? Like, simply because like that fear of like not doing it justice was very like just it just froze me. Mm. I had to get to a point where I'm just like, you know what? I have to be okay with the idea. Like I'm never going to get everything hundred percent right. I'm never going to get everything hundred percent right. win. Right. It, that's physically impossible. And like, I can't hold myself to the standard. Like that's where I need to be at. And I feel like so many marginalized authors, their belief, like I need to be there. And it's like, you can't be there. Cause that place doesn't exist. It's have you, you know, I know black authors get shit on daily. Um, mm-hmm. And was, did you ever get, shit on by your own community like saying well you were born there but you're not from there uh not on the writing sense not yet who knows maybe with Sarah okay. we might who knows but like definitely in my life that's definitely happened there's definitely has been the like oh you don't actually understand this you don't actually do this and I'm like I'm always very like I'm very honest about the fact like I'm a member of the diaspora like the experience yeah. of someone who was both born there and lived there is going to be different. Like I never try to claim that experience when it's not mine. Right. So I always just try and be aware of my limitations. Like this is how I perceive these things as someone of the diaspora. But at the same time, I also don't want to let people limit like, Oh, because you're diaspora, you don't get to like claim this. You don't get to be a part of this. Like that's not fair either. That's not true either. 
Um, that, especially because so many members of the Black diaspora were forcibly taken from Africa. And right. so the privilege of being someone who like, honestly, our family, like my family left Africa, but that was of our own free choice. Yep. And not many Black people get to say that. Like that, it, it makes it even more important to me to like not let anybody get to cheapen that connection because so many people had that connection taken away from them. That's right. And that's the sense I get from you big time, like just reading interviews and stuff with you is that you have such a really fucking great, balance an idea of respect yeah i guess that's just the best way to put it right like you have mm-hmm. such a such a care and respect for it that um uh, the, the only reason i asked that question is because i would just be like mad at somebody if they said that to you <laughs> right <laughs> like i would just you know what i mean like i'm not trying to stir the pot it's just like you know i, I get that sense that you just seem so well-intentioned and and heartfelt that i would just be like no fuck you um <laughs> Rose, you. rosie's good um I'm such a stick in the mud in general, which is why I read a lot of YA in middle grade. And yeah, so you are sort of getting your next stuff is middle grade. And I, the reason people ask me, why do you read so much YA? And it's it, it, it because I'm such a, you know, just sort like I said, stick in the mud, shitty person to be around. <laughs> I, I, oh. I, I love reading stories about. And I understand this thing where we really need the publishing industry to start getting actual YA people to read YA stories. I get that. Mm-hmm. I'm for, I'm, I, and I support that hundred um, uh, percent. But it's the, it's the hope there's so full of hope. And I love, you know, young people like aren't totally jaded yet, right? They're on the cusp of being jaded. Um, book two, they'll be jaded, but book one, they're not. And, uh, and I just love that so much. And that's sort of what we were talking about earlier about middle grade is like, you get to like remove all the fluff, a lot of the bullshit because kids don't bullshit. Right. Is -hmm. that, do you read a lot of YA middle grade and tell me sort of just about now that you've written middle grade or in the middle of it anyways, is that sort of, is is that sort of kind of where, what you're thinking, like why you enjoy it? Definitely. Like honestly, like middle grade YA is primarily what I read. And it's actually been a whole thing. Like I'm trying to read more adult stuff. Cause I'm just like, this is a whole section. This is a whole section of yeah. the reading world that has been cut off. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you can't read everything. Right. But uh, exactly. Yeah, but I'm like, I, I need to get better about it. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, like, and for the reason you said, like the hope, like, especially cause these days, especially the world just feels so shitty. Yeah. But like getting to go into a space where like things just like the belief that like things can be better it's just it can feel so empowering and like getting to deal with characters and situations where like they have not given up yet and even if they're not always 100% realistic like just the idea that like things can get better that's another reason why I love romance I will say one thing um I um another genre I read mostly is like romance so like I shouldn't say I don't read adult but like that's because romance guarantees the happily ever after like no matter what happens no matter how bad it gets they're gonna get together (laughs) that's right and like there's just something about that like the guarantee that like this is a space you can enter where things are gonna be good I think that's something so powerful and like that is just something like I want to offer to readers like even like no matter what bad things happen to Malik no matter how much I put him through like it's never there's always a chance things could get better you know like they don't often get better, but there's always a chance. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to go into details about the way you end this book, but you, you subvert that a little bit. Um, and I found it really interesting, that choice that you made to do that. And um, again, please, and I'm not asking you to tell me any of the details of the end of this book. And, but if you can answer this question without, without details, what, was this the ending you always had in mind? 
No, actually, because when I had first planned out the series, I had this very, well, first off, I planned out for a trilogy that we sold the duology. So I first had right. to figure out how to fit three books worth of stuff into two books. And then after that, um, I had, like, I, when I sat down to start Psalm, I was so ready. I'm like, this is going to be easier than Race. Like, I've already written a book. I already know the characters. I don't need to build a new this. world. <laughs> I did not got this. I, did, I had the opposite of got this. Like, it was a nightmare. But, but, and everyone warned me book two would be a nightmare. It's just one of those things, like, even with warnings, until you go through it, you don't really get it. And now I warned debut. was like, you guys got a book two is not. And, like, they're like, nah, nah. And, like, it's just, it, the cycle continues. But, like, one of the big things, like, basically after a year of working on the book, and this is after it had, as we realized, like, it just was not ready. We we're going to have to push the date back, which I felt horrible about. Mm. Um, I just, I kind of, I scrapped everything. I threw everything top bottom and I started over which was terrible and when I say throughout I don't just mean like oh like like I literally well I didn't fully delete the other documents like I still always save everything because I'm paranoid but like I opened a blank new word doc and I started over like legit and like there was a couple maybe small description things I copy and pasted from the old version but in general this was a whole new doc whole new everything and I just started writing again and with that came a new ending and with that made me realize like what I thought the story had always ended that ending worked for what the story had been when I began writing it, but for what the story became after I finished Rape and like Rape had come out and like I myself had grown a writer, that ending didn't work anymore and it wasn't true. And I never want to put out a story that isn't true. Right. In the sense like true to the characters, true to the reader, through the narrative. Um, and if I had gone with the original, it would not have been true to the narrative. Right. So um, I uh, very much enjoy the ending. Um, I know. And, it's funny because like I said, how you subverted it and, but then you, you know, you use sort of the back matter of this book to talk about that, which I thought was really cool and really interesting. So people will read it and they'll understand, but uh, I thought it was really, uh, I love it. I like, I love subversion. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because when you read a lot, there's nothing worse than knowing the outcome of the book before you get anywhere near it. Right. Um, and that's just because when you read so much, it's just, it, it, ha it happens. Uh, there's just no way around it, but, um, I love, I love what you did with the end of this story. Um, so before last really quick little thing, before we get, uh, into the book a little bit further, I know you're a huge star Wars fan and I don't want to drag this into a big, huge star Wars conversation. So, but I am going to say that, um, this is to you and to everybody really, um, there's a book coming out called Ronin next month. Mm -hmm. It's by Emma Codron. And mm -hmm. it might be one of the best Star Wars books I've ever read. So I highly encourage everyone out there to read it. I'm talking to you too, Rosie. If you still, yeah. if you're, if you'd like to read Star Wars, um, definitely check that book out. It's so fucking good. It is so good. It's Star right. Wars. And it's a Japanese inspired Star Wars story. So it's not beholden to the timeline or even mm -hmm. canon. It's based mm -hmm. on like one of the vision shorts. So Emma just like goes nuts with it, with Star Wars, with lore, with, good, bad, in the best way. It's like, you'll never want a timeline story again. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you're only going to yeah. want these inspired by stories because it's like letting these write. Imagine handing you Star Wars and saying, do whatever you want with it. Oh my God, that would be great. I mean, is this connected all to like, they're doing that new Star Wars, like web anime thing, right? That's so Visions. Yeah, that's so, um, this is inspired by one of the Vision stories. Mm -hmm. So, and all these vision okay, stories, okay. again, are apart from the timeline that we have known, grown up with, right? You and I and everyone else. But that's basically what they've done is they've just handed her the keys and saying, do what you want. Like, I mean, you can't, like a lightsaber is a lightsaber, but 
<laughs> this, this isn't beholden to any saga, to any timeline. It's not even canon. It's just, it's an in-universe tale, almost like a folklore, basically. So it'd be like giving you the saying here, write whatever you want, Rosie, about Star right. Wars and imagine the fun you could have with that. And I'm just, that's all I want now, because that's as much as I love reading Star Wars books and they bring in great authors for sure. It's almost like you want to, you want them to, to be able to let loose. Right. I'm that's so. definitely something uh, not Star Wars but with Marvel. Definitely, I've been learning like the the IP experience. IPs, like the, yeah. I mean, yeah. If do you want to spend a minute talking about that, then to just not necessarily yeah, de- not, not details or spoilers, but just um, because I don't know exactly how it was with you, but I know for a fact with Disney and other IPs and other authors I've talked to, it's like here's a list of things we need you to talk about in the book, and you're just like, so, it's hard, isn't it? I think so. With my so. I, while I can't give specific details of the book, I guess I can talk about my experience a little bit. I will say, and this is Marvel, I can't speak for every IP. Right. I actually did get more freedom than I expected. Like, Amazing. especially with this one. Um, sometimes, like, they already have a structure outline, everything ready, and they come to you. But this was actually the other way around. Like, they were soliciting pitches. And so they were having authors pitch their idea for a graphic novel for... They were doing a whole line of them. Um, the Miles Morales one by Justin A. Reynolds has already come out. Mm-hmm. Um, the Miss Marvel one. Um, is about to come out um and so mine is black panther and so they were having us pitch like what is your idea for these characters for like a single standalone story like all contained in one graphic novel so that was one difference there like i kind of got to come in from the start like look this is what the story i want to tell so i wasn't sort of forced into any particular thing um and then after that i had a lot of freedom on the outline um they had me outline it chapter by chapter and everything and uh with black panther they have one editor who like anything that goes through black panther and marvel like the um the trade paperbacks the like run single issue every single thing kind of goes through him for consistency and so he on top of like my personal editor I worked with was also sort of reviewing it to make sure and most of his notes were just kind of keeping the characters in in check like oh I don't think the child would react like this or within our timeline Wakanda's tech wouldn't actually be there yet like was more for consistency stuff but like they were actually like I think the expectation is IP, they're hovering over your shoulder with every single word. Mm. And like, they're like, do it exactly like this, like to the point where like the authors they bring in aren't actually doing anything. Like it's basically all been decided. And for me, that actually has not been my experience. Like I was given a lot of freedom and like it, while they, their biggest thing was like, they wanted to feel like Black Panther because like, of course, every property, every brand has a certain vibe and feeling to it. And so that like, as like they were, that was their big concern. Like, how do we make sure this story still feels like Black Panther? But as long as like it kind of stayed in that parameter, like they didn't try and stifle my voice, they didn't try and stifle what I want to bring to the story, what I cared about saying. Like they were very good for like keeping all that intact and like just pushing back on the, this is like, this is what a Black Panther story kind of needs to have to be a Black Panther story. But aside from that, you can do what you want. Yeah, it's so, I love that. That's really great to hear because uh, I would say like anytime I've talked to somebody about an IP experience, it, it's been a, it's been like a wide range, right. From, mm-hmm. from good to bad, bad to good, whatever. And um, it's so great that they're letting authors. Yeah. Handing them the keys a bit more. And that's, that's, that's gives me a lot of hope um, in your situation. Cause like that just, that there's, there's a level of trust there then that tells me, right. They're not, they're not just picking you arbitrarily. You know, yes, what I mean? they're pick, right. They're picking you because they, they, they obviously have a lot of respect for what you do, but they like what you do and they trust you. And that is so important with an IP, isn't it? Yes. And also I'm just, and I think this might be a more comic book specific thing, the sort of rise of like 
alternate worlds and like other timelines is helping a lot because like because from the start they're like this series is separate from the main comics timeline yeah um it gives you just a lot of free range because of course the big like conversation ha- that happens with superhero comics these days is like how do you make the main timeline make sense that's so right. since like that's right there's just been a big movement towards people like you know what we just do not care like <laughs> dc that has their whole like kind of line of all these non-comic books and stuff that keeps hitting bestsellers like people love them yeah. because it's a very good entryway because modern day comics have become just so untenable for like if you want to jump into like the flash but you don't want to read eighteen thousand issues of the flash like just pick up a graphic novel so that i think that was a big the format was a big part of it like they're like you can kind of do whatever you want simply because it all, this also kind of doesn't affect the main timeline. <laughs> yeah, that's because what you end up with multi universes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is I know it's trendy right now, but uh, um, you just end up with that. And and, and listen, they're they're super fun. That's really great, but it can really just muddy the waters too, and just makes it more confusing. And like you, I love what you just said there about a new person trying to find an entry point into into any IP especially these ones like Marvel, DC, Star Wars that have been around for so long and are just like flooded with, with stuff, um, you know, and have story groups and canon and timelines. And it's like, where do you, where's your entry? Yeah. Like imagine something like the flash or anyone that's been around any character that's been around for a hundred years at this point for some of them. Right. Where's your entry point? Like if if someone's like, I want to start, I'm going to start today reading Wonder Woman for the first time. Where should I start? You'd be like, I don't know, 1918. What was that? What was that guy's (laughs) name? Who was that guy that invented her out of some weird, creepy way? I can't remember his name. Um, But yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's insane. So, but yeah, I really love, uh, love this idea of what ifs and um, letting, letting storytellers today have a, have a, have a go at it. You know what I mean? Like uh, twisted tales and these sorts of things that Disney's doing where they, they're letting authors, talented people, and they're trusting them to just have a go at it. And uh, mm-hmm. to me, the results have been fantastic. Plus now we get stuff that's being told through a modern lens. Cause a lot of these stories that were written in time, which they exist is problematic for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't need to tell you or most people that. So I I'm loving things like, uh, like Kayla's Ancrum's Darling, for example, mm-hmm. or, uh, you yeah. know, like grabbing the subtext from these old stories, which were just riddled with, with vile shit and just being like, yeah, that that's what it was. That's what they meant. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, anyone can look up the summary for this book for a Psalm of Storm and Silence. And I'm not going to ask you the question that you're going to get asked a million times over the next two months. So talk about though, it's a duology you're wrapping this sucker up. The start of the second book is so important in a duology, obviously. It's like Empire Strikes Back, right? Shit was bad. It's more return, actually, because at the end of A New Hope, things were kind of good. But yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> things are really shitty at the end of your first book, um, Race. And you got to start the second book off. What was your thinking? Talk about where your characters are at the beginning of this book. And what was your thinking, knowing that... It's uh, it's such a weird weird way to do it. You're again talk about entry points. Like how do you re- how do you get me the reader back into the story in an effective way? Um, I think you do a really. We let, we can mention it. You start this you start this book with a little history, but well, I'll let you decide how much you want to say about that. Got it. Of course. So this is definitely one of those things. Like I had to think a lot about. And when I mentioned like the version of the book I scrapped, like one of the big things was like. I kept starting the book in the wrong place because in my head, my original plans had always been a kind of time skip. And I know people hear that and they get oh, time skip. Like, no, this is not like several years, but like 
there had been originally a time skip of a couple months simply just because like I needed Karina and Malik to be in t- places where they weren't already. And so we saw them originally, like we saw them dealing with the aftermath of book one, of course, but like they'd already kind of processed it. They had dealt with it and they were dealing new, they were dealing with new shit, right? And in my head, that had made sense because I'm just like, oh, like I need to get them from point A to point B. I need to get them in a place where they can do X, Y, Z. So like, let me just kind of skip over like dealing with that and so they can get here. And of course I realized the fundamental issue was that by not showing them processing, actually coming to terms with what had happened, because so much changed at the end of race, like quite literally their lives and also like everything they thought they knew about the world has flipped on its head, right? And then originally I was just like, okay, well, we can just get to a point where they're okay with that. Cool. And I'm like, no, I'm, the reader is missing a crucial chunk of the story, not showing them dealing with the fact that Malik has gone from like one of the poorest people here to like one of the most powerful people on the continent. Like what that kind of power, what does that do to him? Or Karina dealing with the fact that she has lost everything and she now has to scramble to figure out like, what does that mean? Like she's so used to just because of her name, she has power and now her name and like who she is, is the big source of danger. Like in the original version, they had both already kind of dealt with their new change of fortunes. And they so like the reader was getting someone, they both kind of adjusted their new roles. But I'm like, no, like them adjusting to these new roles is part of the story. So all this to say like entry points like it's a very hard thing to figure out and it's like you always pick where you're starting a story based on what you think the story needs and like figuring out psalms was a part of me refiguring out what the story needed and that's another reason why the story unlike the last version which was only Malik and Karina like this one has a new narrator and it has these interludes spread out like between it and it actually I don't call it a prologue because I hate prologues but technically it's kind of a prologue <laughs> that kind of just details this moment from Karina's childhood just just, just to give the reader, reader a little bit of context simply because I was just like this is information the reader needs to have and if they don't have it everything else that's happening here is not going to make sense and in retrospect if I known they need it I might have seen it in better book one but you know what they say hindsight's twenty twenty. So I was like, since I can't go back and rip every copy of book one out of people's hands, like, no, y'all read this version instead. Um, I had to kind of settle for like bringing this information now in book two. Right. Um, one of the great things you do in this one. So in the first one, everyone's geographically frozen, um, mm-hmm. keeping them in Xeron for for reasons. There's good reasons why. Um, you go full Lord of the Rings in this one. Do we go for a oh walk? We, we, we go for a walk. Um, we go, true. we go, we go places. We see some people, we do some shit. Um, one of my favorite sections in the book is the whole, uh, Belotho, uh, section, the city of thieves, um, mm-hmm. chapters, um, Karina gets high in it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's sort of, bit. sort of, just a little bit. And it is so funny. Uh, and, this is a great, the reason, one of the reasons why I like this sequence, I think it, it, it has everything that you do well. Um, you deliver a ton of exposition. We learn so much in a few chapters that affect the everything. It's very important that way. It, it moves the story forward in a way I don't often see in, in books, and uh, which I appreciate very much. It's very funny. <laughs> there are some very funny moments in, in this section as well. Probably two of my favorite bits. One being, yeah, the Karina sort of getting high. High is not the right word, I guess. But um, she's so loopy. Relaxed. She gets very relaxed. She's like too relaxed. relaxed. <laughs> too relaxed. Um, and then before they enter the city, they're asked to relinquish their weapons because it's, a, it's supposed to be a safe place. And there's a weapons bit that is so funny. Um, 
So just talk about the fun and the importance of go. And it's also like, there's this whole assembling the team section too. It's very important. So talk about getting to take these characters and then go for, go for a walk. Definitely. So it was that one, that is one thing from my original plan from book two that stayed the same. Cause I always knew book one was it's the city. It has to be stay in the city. Like this is a very sort of closed room sort of book, like, and mm. sort of the claustrophobia, the, the idea of this huge festival is happening, but they're also very trapped was like very intentional. And so I knew then book two, like as the stakes are getting bigger, like this is no longer just about the city. This is about the world. Like they have to actually be part of the world. Mm. And so because Malik, and I also needed though, However, even though I wanted to show the rest of the world, like we still need the city. And that was another mistake with the earlier drafts. Like in the earlier drafts, both Malik and Karina were both outside Zeran and they were both doing stuff outside Zeran, which was like made sense to me again, just cause like, oh, there's stuff happening in the world. But then there was no way to know what was happening back in the city. And it just felt like we spent this whole book learning about this magic city and these people who live here and caring about it. And then book two, none of that, what? So that's why in this version i don't think this is a spoiler to say the majority of malik's chapters take place in the city while um no all of Prince's chapters take place out of the city right um and so and getting that balance but then i had the other problem that if malik's in the city Korea's not in the city they need to have scenes together like they have a romance like this not so i i found a a very creative way to kind of bypass that which i hope readers enjoy um I, that one's a spoiler so i won't say it but like i'm like how do i have them interact with each other but also physically be on other sides of the continent that's right um it is clever the way you do it yeah for sure and it works yeah yeah, yeah so i'm so yeah. glad because that was definitely one of those things where it's like i'm doing this for plot reasons but like i hope it doesn't come across as i'm doing this for plot reasons <laughs> so, <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> if y'all read that if y'all a, read a little that, bit a little bit but it's <laughs> but 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 but, it, but that's fine that's okay though fuck like this whole show don't tell argument is such bullshit to me yeah like Like, it's okay it's okay to tell it's fine to tell i don't like that's i think that's an argument that's that's born and bred on things like goodreads by a bunch of people who have zero credibility when it comes to how to tell a story so strong opinion there i'm sorry but uh um no i got you i got you i'm fine with it like (laughs) there's some telling but it 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 doesn't matter it works and it's enjoyable and it's written well. like so who cares i don't know whatever sorry i'm just like this the audacity of some people to tell to tell uh, professional writers and authors how to tell their own story to me is laughable but uh um obviously the the great benefit from going on the road is you get to not only of course see new new places um but you get to meet a lot of new people um talk and you seem to have just like this jar i don't know do you have like a jar on your desk of just like interesting characters you can just pull from or something like i wish yeah you do in this book you do anyways um you you encounter some incredible people in this book and and like you said yeah you but you never lose sight of who's in charge of this story right um for sure but but you do introduce great characters and i'm not completely prepared to forgive you for afua yet um (laughs) but uh love Hathor so much um so just talk about sort of yeah like this balance between having interesting characters having a big cast having new characters come in have their moments but never you have it's always got to be about Karina and Malik it's just like honestly it's a juggling act and it's just like in the way that like you know like a juggler is only ever really touching two balls at a time even if like they have 80 balls like and so you're just like always I always think about like that like I'm thinking about like all the balls like even the balls are in the air if I'm not necessarily like 
directly interact with them in the moment. They're still moving. They're still doing things. And so mm-hmm. I don't think of characters in the same way. Like if a character shows up in chapter one and then they show up again in chapter seven, it doesn't matter if the reader did not see them chapters two through six. Like they were up to something. And like when they show up again in chapter seven, like the how they appear on the page has to change according to what happened, even if the reader didn't see it. So I'm always thinking of that in motion and like what happened when I wasn't directly working with um, the piece I was juggling at that moment. Mm. Um, and so with the characters, and so that was one thing um, I really wanted to challenge myself with, with Wraith. Like not that I didn't like what I did with the characters in Wraith, but I really wanted to push myself more. Like how do I give characters more complete arcs? How do I make everyone? And I think um, Caracal, I think that's one character I'm really proud of kind of like, he has a kind of a minor role to the story, all things considered. Like he's not necessarily the one who's changing the entire like trajectory of the story, but I still felt like he kind of got to have a complete arc within his spot. Sorry, and I'm yeah, just thinking and- of Caracol now. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he's, um, I literally, when I was thinking, I don't think this one's too much of a spoiler. When I was kind of thinking about adding him to Karina's team, because I knew Karina needed some new people added. Um, I was literally like, what if you took Luke and Obi-Wan, but they hated each other? And so that was it, because like, I knew Karina needed someone who could kind of show her the ropes, because like, she's been thrown into this new magical identity she didn't know about, and she's just like, I do not know what I'm doing. And like, the last time I was left alone, I kind of killed my dad. So like, let me, I cannot risk messing um, up again. Right. And talk about, you know, we talked about sort of like the, the meta sort of aspect of this, like the, like, you know, the Mel Brooks sort of idea of, of acknowledging or or somewhat acknowledging that they're in a story um, yeah and so you even at one point i wrote every line almost every line i highlighted is has to do with caracol by the way but uh there's <laughs> a really really great line it says don't mind him he hides a gentle and nurturing soul behind that caustic demeanor classic rogue with a secret heart of gold character archetype so you just tell us <laughs> you know like yes that's he's the rogue archetype like literally you tell us yes. that um, yeah oh but yes that's ife ife is another they are probably they might be my favorite new character because like I got, I feel like I got to do two things on that. Number one, like, like you said, like just kind of lovingly poke at like the very traditional fantasy tropes, mm-hmm. but also really get to explore like. Their backstories why, are amazing. Yeah. Ife and, like, and Karakil. Yeah. Yes. Like why story matters. And Ife is like, yeah. while on the one hand, they are the most character or most aware of stories. Like for them, like the stories are a way of processing trauma. So it's not even just like, for the sake of the joke, like there's actual character reasons why mm-hmm. Ife is always the one who points out, like, is it kind of weird? Like our story, our lives <laughs> yeah. are our story like? He's us. Are they? They are. Yeah. Sorry, they. they, yeah, they yeah, Ife's non-binary. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, they, they're us, right? Kind of in a way. Yeah. 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 And so like, it's both like a meta, but it's also not meta because in story, there very much is a reason why they, why they're always analyzing the world in this way. And like, it goes back to why story is so important in these cultures and why, someone would process their world through a story. Right. Um, Caracol's backstory is so amazing. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to say what he used to do, but... Um, I think that's a spoiler, yeah. Yeah, so he, he he had a... He, of course, he had a, a life before before we beat him, um, as most people do. Um, and it ties, in, it ties into everything in a really, really fun way, but in a really... Um, uh, like romantic way. There's actually a bit of, there's a, there's a nice story there with him actually. And it's, it's really wonderful. And he's a, he's a fucking great character. Um, which leads me to sort of like the last question. Um, so this book deals with a ton, almost every character in some way deal deals with like autonomy, body autonomy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of it and each one in different ways for sure. Like even, you know, sort of the guard, the sentinels um, have issues with that. 
not necessarily in control all the time. Um, of course, the main characters struggle with it within themselves, it, it internally more so than externally. But mm-hmm. um, talk about sort of this idea, especially when it comes to Farid uh, and and Hanain, you know, their relationship. And it's like, there's a lot of, you know, there's some grooming going on there and there's some, some stuff going on there that's not comfortable to read. Um, talk about this idea of freedom of choice, body autonomy, this idea, because in, in universe, in your world, it's really important as we're being ushered into sort of like a, a new generation of thinking, aren't we in universe? Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be, you know, we don't know what happens after the second book, maybe one day you'll write that story, but you definitely get the sense that we're on the cusp of change as far as that goes. Yes, that was very intentional. Like this idea, I, I um, heard this from Holly Black once who is a literal genius yeah. talking about like, even your world needs to have an arc. Like it feels to me yeah. to feel like your world yeah. is moving towards something. And that was definitely intentional in this book. Like the world is definitely moving forward for better or for worse. And like people have to learn to adjust. And so with Hanan and Farid in particular, because a lot of ways I feel like Hanan and Farid are meant to kind of be a mirror to Karina and Malik. And both of them sort of represent what, if they had made different choices, how they might've ended up. Um, and not all those are very good. <laughs> With Hanan and Fareed, and this is again, spoilers for book one. So if y'all care about that stuff, spoiler. So obviously <laughs> Fareed's big like thing that motivates him is that he loves Hanan. Like he has always loved her. He grew up with her, but like he very much did not see her as his sister. Like he's very adamant. Like it's not a sibling thing. Like they didn't meet till he was 10. Um, and a big inspiration from him was actually Snape. And this is a caveat where I say, like, Harry Potter, I do not agree with almost anything the author says. And, like, right. oof, just talking about that book can be very difficult because it was a big impact on me. But So I understand how loaded it is. But he was inspired by Snape, particularly the fact that I always hated the idea that at the end of that series, suddenly everyone is okay with the fact that Snape was, like, beating children and like (laughs) making it to the point like Neville his parents were tortured and yet the thing that scared him most was Snape and he's just abusing and like doing all this horrible shit but it's like oh but I loved Harry's mom so it made it okay like the fucking always thing to the point that like Harry named his child after his man like no what the hell um (laughs) and like and I remember like I've always I remember being like 12 years old when that book came out and like being like this seems kind of weird everyone's suddenly cool with Snape now and so that is just something that never stuck with me like this idea that like love is redeemed like this idea like if you you can do whatever you want and if you say it's in the name of love it is okay right and so i kind of directly want to explore that like with farid every single thing he does is oh i love hanan like that's his answer like there's really no deeper reason to it like Mm. and it felt weird because i was like does this make him too one-dimensional i tried to kind of throw in some dimension there but it's just like that is the fundamental truth he can justify whatever it to him he can justify anything he does because at the end of the day, to him, everything is being with her. That's right. Um, and this idea, because I feel like a lot of fantasy romance media like kind of really simplifies the idea, like, oh, love is always this good thing. And so with them, so we have Fareed there. And then with Hanan, we have this girl who's been brought back to life against her will, like our earlier conversation of autonomy. She didn't get to choose this, this idea that like, oh, like on first glance, anyone we want to be brought back from the dead, that would be great. Except if you can't choose the circumstances, you can't choose where, you can't choose where the people you love would be when it happens. Would that actually be that great? So it's, she's dealing with that. It's and incredibly they, interesting, her storyline in this book, because I mean, that talk about threads you could have pulled. I mean, you, you just, you just couldn't cause you had to keep moving the story forward. Right. But mm-hmm. um, 
like such an interesting conversation, isn't it? About that and her existence. And yeah, like that's talk about, we talked about earlier about like sort of pulling back and looking at it from a real world perspective. Like, just imagine that <laughs> like you were yeah. brought back years later and just how different the world. Oh, anyways, sorry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I got you. Cause I think yeah. one time whenever we see sort of resurrection, like you'll see a character like, like you'll see Captain America. He's brought back like 70 years. Like everyone he knows is already dead. Like the world's moved on. Right. But I'm like, yep. what if you brought, you go like a large chunk of time, like, but in your, the lifetime of people, you know, like 10 years is a long time to be away from people, you know, that's right. So it's not like 70 years, like cap, but it's still like a very messed up round around time. But yeah. So with them, they have this codependent relationship and we kind of see that explored in the interludes. Like we have this, like when they're growing up, there was a very, it was a very, insular like situation they were in like Hanan was the crown princess Fari was raised at the palace because his parents were like friends with the king and queen like they really had no one but each other and like you just kind of see that and then of course you see now we jump to the present and you kind of see him trying to recreate that but of course like it's been 10 years he's like 27 she's still 16 like there's just been hella shit going on and like this idea like and it's, it's so fascinating because, like, in the book, one of the big things is don't forget the past, don't forget the past. But for Reed's big problem is he will not let the past go. And, like, I want to juggle, like, yes, you can't forget the past, but at some point you got to let stop holding you back. Um, and really exploring this idea of, I don't know, like, I just really want to explore this idea, especially, like, with childhood friends to lovers, which is one of my favorite tropes, but this idea that, like, when you are so focused on your idea of a person or how they were at one stage of their life that you will not accept they're no longer who they were when you knew them. Right. Like how unhealthy that could be because that's exactly what Snape does with Harry's mom. Like to the point where decades after she died, he's still obsessed with her as they when they were children. That's really weird to me. That is not romantic. Um, and so I want to use them to explore that and just kind of give a like kind of another another glimpse of how Karina and Malik might have ended up if they kind of didn't go through what they've gone through in this book and sort of realize certain things about themselves and realize sort of their own tendency to kind of, Malik in particular, one thing Malik really realizes in this book, and I feel like the Malik fans are going to hate me for this because like they are very protective of him, but like he starts to, starts to realize his own kind of obsessive tendencies. Yeah. And like this idea that like, even when you're dealing with mental illness, even when you're dealing with like all this stuff, you still are responsible for your actions. And like him learning he's, to deal with like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's very codependent, and not on the person who would be the obvious choice either. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's I love that you you manifest that in in different ways in in almost in every relationship he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it's has- not just Karina. Like that would be the easy obvious one, but no, it's it's almost. I love that because that really looks at something. And I'm not going to say you were trying to send a message. Like, this isn't like a mental health issue or anything like that. I'm not saying you're mm-hmm. suggest you're you're going into that. But this idea that someone can be codependent just on one person, but then be totally healthy relationship wise with everyone else in his world or her world, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem real to me. Mm-hmm. So yes. I love. I just really appreciated that in it. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's definitely, and I, I won't go too much into it again because right. spoilers, but yeah, right. there's definitely like Malik and Karina, like really them being the healthiest relationship they've both ever been in. Mm-hmm. And like right. him starting Which with, is crazy, yeah. yeah. I know, yeah. right? Because they, they, they started out trying to kill each other. Like that's really yeah. sad. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And especially, I think his sister, that was one I love because especially in book one, like mm, the yeah. fact that like, like the fact that he loves his sister is not up for debate. They all three of them love each other. Yeah. But kind of going to the idea that like, 
love isn't always enough. Like you got to treat people right. And like, again, it's not to the level of like Farida Hanan, obviously, but like we do see them struggle in book three with the fact that they love each other, but like what they all need is kind of in contention with each other. And especially him and Nadia, those seeds were hard to write because like we're seeing her deal with the aftermath of the fact book one, she was kidnapped. She was separated from them. And yeah, it was only a week, but she's six. Like when you're uh, six years old, that's like 10 years. So um, like this idea and like the way she kind of is processing that trauma is different than what Malik is used to. And he can't really handle that because he has this idea of what the relationship looks like. And it doesn't look like that anymore. And he's struggling to deal with that. So. I, Layla has some amazing moments in this book and I really friggin' loved, I'm not going to say with who, but Nadia has a really, really great relationship with somebody in this book. And, yeah. and I was, I was like obsessed over it when I was reading it. I wanted more of it. Um, not that I don't necessarily think you didn't shortchange it necessarily. I think it, it, it ran its course maybe, but um, I loved that relationship and that's come up in that style of, connection between two people have you know i've seen i've seen before in other books and it's i don't know if it's been done as well as as you do it and i really uh i really loved it i really appreciated it but i'm not going to say with you um that makes me that makes me feel glad like that's so good because like yeah that was definitely one thing i wanted to explore like this idea that like with malik like especially when you're younger learning that like the people you care so much about sort of have relationships and connections outside of you. Like, it sounds silly. Cause again, we all know like yeah. your friends are allowed to have other friends. <laughs> That's right. But, like, yeah. I, I know yeah. when I was young, like I was something I struggled with. Like I used to feel like whenever my friends got a new best friend at the playground in fifth grade, I'd be like, Oh God, they're gone forever. I had to unlearn. Um, I love that. I'm not that way anymore, but like, I definitely really want to explore like, what if you take someone like Malik who's older, he should know better. And he still feels threatened when his sisters suddenly they're sort of branching out and like this bubble they created to protect themselves. Like they needed to be this unit of three, they wouldn't have survived. But once they no longer necessarily need that and they both start, all three of them kind of start branching out, like what length do you go to like, you're just so desperate to hold on? Like, yeah. Well, well, when they've been through the trauma they've been through as a unit, as a family, it's only natural. It's like, it's, it's, it's completely selfish on his part for sure, as we all are. Um, and it's, it's, it's also, it's just confusing and he, and he gets bitter because it's all, but it's, it's really just a self-reflection, right? Because Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't like that. They're able to move on a little bit, even if it's a little bit, the slightest way. And he isn't Mm -hmm. right. Cause that just creates self-doubt and that makes him question himself. Of course he manifests that outwardly onto them, but really he's just like, I'm jealous for lack of a better word, right? Like it's, it's just Mm -hmm. because they're able to do things that he just isn't yet. So Mm -hmm. wonderful relationship. And that, that's a whole, like there's so many, so many ways you could have gone with this story. Like I'm mad at the publisher for not giving you three books. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) this, okay. This is, this is how, to me, I love this. I love how you fucking ended this book, this story because I hate this idea and I understand the point of view because we, when we fall in love with a world and people, we just never want it to end or we want it to end with us, right? We hate the idea mm-hmm. that, this, that their life continues in the dark, unwritten, without us being there. Um, but that's what you've done. You could have ended this book with just life goes on and an ellipsis. And, mm-hmm. you know, basically, because like you said, there is talked about earlier, this world is now changed forever. And 
and it's going to evolve and it goes on and life goes on. And I thought you really, the way you ended this book is, is does that right. Like, you know, there's more story to tell whoever gets to tell it. You want to tell it fanfic it, right. Go ahead. But <laughs> um, right. Cause I'm not currently obligated to, <laughs> to, to, to do that uh, contractually anyways. Um, so Anyway, this is how you do it. This is how you end a duology or a series in general. I fucking loved it, Roseanne. Congratulations. Um, I think you crushed it. And I can't uh, can't wait to read that next book. Sounds um, amazing. Your middle grade sounds so great. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that. And best of luck with the launch. I know it's going to go well. I know it's a nerve-wracking, anxious time and experience. But uh, enjoy it as much as you can. And... Uh, good luck with the rest of the year and thank you so much for coming on the show and I'm sorry that I kept you way too long (laughs) (laughs) it's okay no this has been a lot of fun thank you and it's just no it's like you're one of the first people like who've read the book who like I don't personally know who's like talked to about it so like it's definitely like just a good feeling like oh wow like I wrote these words they're out there and like other people are processing them whoa Well, that's an interesting thing too, because I know, yeah, everyone has sort of beta readers and and people they trust their circle, but it's like, can you trust them? <laughs> <laughs> like you can, like my, my, my I know, I know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but it is a funny, it is a yeah, it's it's a weird situation. So that is, I mean, that's great though. I'm, I'm if you've got a circle of people that you trust to be honest, that's all. That's what you're asking for, right? Honesty, right? Because you can take criticism, of course you can. Um, mm-hmm but that's that's definitely what you need so but yeah um i just don't i can't i just fucking can't imagine people not liking this i don't know but it just doesn't it's all there so it's it's gonna work no issues <laughs> so yeah once again thanks so much roseanne there you have it another episode of everything is canon all wrapped up huge thanks to roseanne for taking the time to chat with me i'm a huge fan of her and this series and i can't recommend it enough especially if you like books that stick the landing Asama Storm and Silence is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to rosannabrown.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.